Welcome to the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to a conversation with Ed Dowd. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots, and it's Thursday, November 3rd in the year 2022. Tonight we have a really special guest. This is the former managing partner for BlackRock, Ed Dowd. And as you will hear, it's a, he has done some amazing research and using st- all the statistics he can put together to establish the magnitude and the scope of what we're dealing with here with the consequences of this injection and this bioweapon death shot that's ravaging our society and our nation. Before we begin, make sure that you're taking good care of your wealth, doing everything you can to preserve that wealth in tangible ways. I mean, this is almost, it's very scriptural. We're supposed to steward what God gives us and putting it into paper that's worth nothing is not good stewardship. But getting our wealth put into tangible gold and silver, that's why we have birch gold. Patriots, as you know, the stock market has been in absolute turmoil. And with that also comes an increase in the consumer price index. Inflation is on the rise. So if you're wondering what our illustrious leader is doing to quell the surge of inflation that's destroying American families, you know as well as I do. They're spending more money and adding more burden to the debt, effectively nothing. Don't bury your head in the sand while your savings get decimated. Do something about it. Text BARDS to 989898. Birch Gold will send you a free info kit on protecting your savings with gold in a tax-sheltered account. These are great people with almost 20 years experience converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metals IRAs. Don't allow the left to devalue your savings. Text BARDS to 989898 and claim your free, no-obligation info kit from Birch Gold. Again, you can own physical gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account, and Birch Gold will help you do it. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers. Check them out. Text BARDS to 989898. Again, that's BARDS to 989898. And secure your future with Birch Gold. Do it today. And that's texting BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. It's a great way to ensure that you're going to secure your hard-earned capital and wealth. Patriots, we're in a really difficult time, as you well know. This injection is ravaging this nation. And we're dealing with uncounted numbers of unknown deaths or unknown cause of deaths. And it's just basically a smoke and mirrors to hide the real cause of what's causing this, of what the, of the root cause of all of this is. And we know it. It's the bioweapon that was injected in so many people. And it's a sad state. We're dealing with a, the awareness that this is not going as planned. That is evidenced by the Atlantic magazine's article and front cover of we need to have a pandemic amnesty and it goes on to say we need to forgive one another for all that was done and said during a time of darkness 
The problem is that amnesty is not the same as forgiveness. Forgiveness is spiritual, and it's our obligation as we go through this, as what God would ask us to, because if we want forgiveness, we have to give forgiveness. That's the simple thing is God's asked us to forgive. But don't confuse forgiveness with justice, and that's what amnesty is asking for. Amnesty is asking that we we forget, that we don't even, there's no consequences. There's always justice. The biggest challenge we're going to have as a public is to start trusting in the courts of heaven to deliver that justice and not be impatient because the courts of men are so corrupt. And that's a longer discussion we'll get into in future shows. But for tonight, it kind of sets the context of some of the challenges that we face. Now, Ed Dowd is one of these people that I first heard on uh, The War Room with Steve Bannon. And I was really taken by his statistical analysis and what the conclusions he was drawing, which were things that we've known, but he's been able to show it with hard data. He's brilliant in his mind and in how he looks at things. He is He's not a person that comes in this from a medical background, but rather he's been an analyst that is a stock chooser, if you will, one who has grown hedge funds. One of the hedge funds he has, he grew from $4 billion to $12 billion. He knows what he's doing when it comes to numbers. He understands Wall Street. And this is another dimension of this interview tonight I want you to listen to carefully because he dispels a lot of the illusions that we have around Wall Street in trying to get us somewhat of a glimpse as to what really is going on and why we are where we are. So I think you'll enjoy this interview. It was a fantastic one for me, one that I've been looking forward to now for weeks. Uh, And somebody who will be back on the show, especially since he has a book coming out in December, and that's discussed at the end of the interview. Just a really great interview, a great person, and a, a really fantastic mind that we need in this fight to help wake people up. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Ed Dowd. We're trying to convince the dude who doesn't know anything. You and I are in the echo chamber, right? You don't want to upset their worldview, but they can latch on to the fact that here's the data. I think it's the vaccine. I'm a pretty reasonable guy. And at this point, they're covering it up because they see the same data we, we do. And, 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 and that's that. And then that's something a marginal mind can grab onto, I think. Patriots, I'm really honored today. And I'm going to be very honest. I've been excited about this interview for weeks. And this is Ed Dowd, who was former managing partner for BlackRock. He's done some amazing research on the statistics of the impact of the, the vaccination and he just has an amazing insight into the functionings and workings of Wall Street, which is really more about dispelling some of the myths that we build on the outside, not really understanding the inner workings. So, Ed, welcome to the show. How are you? Uh, thank you so much for having me, Scott. Good to be here. Absolutely. Can you give us just a little background on yourself just to be, so the audience gets familiar with you? Sure. So I, I started off my career in finance, uh, HSBC, right out of college, which is Hong Kong Shanghai Bank. I was what they call an institutional fixed income salesperson. And I basically learned all the credit markets, the interest rate markets, currency markets, derivatives, you name it. And I figured out how the plumbing worked. I did overnight lending to pension funds, all sorts of things, sold government bonds, um, government agency securities. And And that was my first taste of fraud. There was some fraud going on in the early 90s. Uh, Kidder Peabody blew up. Some trader hid some trades in his drawer with some exotic derivatives, and they blew up. Uh, and uh, 
I also saw the Orange County scandal where uh, Orange County was um, there was there were there was a low interest rate regime. We can talk about that. Low interest rates lead to excess, leads to fraud. But there was a low interest rate regime, and Orange County was buying these exotic bonds. The dude there who was running the money for Orange County was a moron, and these slick salesmen sold them these exotic derivatives, and interest rates went up, and it blew up, and they lost a ton of money. Um, and and he was he was uh, he was wined and dined by Wall Street, and and every garbage bond was stuffed into that uh, Orange County pension fund. It was a disaster. And then uh, I went back to business school, wanted to become a port, uh, eventually become a portfolio manager. I uh, went to Indiana University, Notre Dame undergrad. And then uh, from there, I went to Wall Street on the sell side. Uh, it was an investment bank called Donaldson Lufkin Genret, which no longer exists. It was bought by Credit Suisse right after the dot-com scandal. We can go into that a little bit, but th- I was an uh, electric utility analyst. And I was a research associate. So it's like one of those entry-level jobs where you work 80, 90 hours uh, as a slave. I lived in the office. And I did that for two years. And I saw the dot-com fraud unfolding down the hall. It was a joke. These companies were jokes. There was no due diligence. In the, in the old days, investment banks used to do due, di- due diligence, meaning they'd look at the company, make sure it was financially fit and had revenues and profits. Well, these companies had revenues, but no profits. So they just suspended with that system and uh, started IPOing garbage companies, most of which went to zero, uh, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so that, that, and so that scandal resulted, and there was a close link between research and uh, uh, investment banking, so much so that DLJ knew they had to sell themselves because the investigations were going on after that scandal. DLJ had a direct link between uh, equity research and investment banking. And the senior analysts would get 5% of the, of the take of an IPO float for going around to his clients hawking the damn thing. So, you know, I, I, I knew guys, I was, I was, I was electric utilities, which was sleepy as hell. I didn't make it. I didn't make any uh, eye popping money at all, but there were kids down the hall from me, you know, right out of college or business school who were, their bonuses were a million. They were, they were assistants basically. And the, 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 the guy running the, the desk or the, uh, the internet research was making 10 million a year, 20 million a year. It was crazy times, crazy times. And um, so, you know, I, so I saw fraud, right? You know, that was, I saw fraud right from the get-go in my career. So I've always been super suspicious. I know how the sausage is made. And then when I went, I went up to Boston to go to uh, Independence Investments, become a technology analyst right before the dot-com boom uh, blew up. I knew it was going to blow up because I was sitting down the hall from this nonsense. And I, I made a uh, name for myself in town and got a job as a portfolio manager at BlackRock, where I spent 10 years growing the fund from... 2 billion to 14 billion. And my job was to pick stocks, get ahead of the curve, um, get that, get information uh, before it became widely available. Because in stock picking, once you read it in the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, all the gains have been made. So, you know, your, my job was to uh, navigate uh, the difference between perception and reality, right? So perception is XYZ stock is boring and this and that. Reality is it's about to go f- through a fundamental business change. I used, you know, disparate databases to kind of give me an analyst mosaic and I'd buy the stock and it would work. One of the great, one of the great stocks I picked was Apple before anybody thought Apple was going to be great. They came out with an iPhone uh, and uh, they projected they were going to sell 10 million, 10 million units, which was uh, 1% of the, of the uh, smartphone market at the time. And I, I looked at the phone 
the sell side analysts all had their estimates well below their ability to get the 10 million units. I said, this is going to be a piece of cake. And I bought the stock and it just flew from there. I mean, this is what, it's, what I do is I, I, I don't listen to what people tell me. I, I, I use my own uh, intuition, the critical, critical thinking skills and just pattern recognition and get ahead of the curve. Fast forward to this nonsense we got going on with COVID. I did the same thing. I started seeing uh, deaths and uh, injuries starting to occur when the vaccine program was administered. Anecdotes, just anecdotes. That's all I had. But I know, understand statistics enough to know that anecdotes shouldn't be happening in a safe and effective vaccine. I mean, you should, statistically, they're so rare. In my friend circle, I shouldn't be hearing them. And in other people's friend circle. So that was a warning sign for me. And I, um, I said, okay, uh, I'll, I'll be sure to look at insurance company results and funeral home results once we get going on this thing. And sure enough, you know, the, the, the numbers are astonishing. Uh, when the mandates came, I was just, that's when I really lost my mind. Uh, I was like, I, I can't believe this country is going through this uh, fascist uh, color of law product selling, which is what it is. And I, uh, I became very vocal on Twitter. Dr. Malone came to the island and uh, he uh, elevated my media profile. And then here I am. And I got a team of people working with me now who, when I first went on Steve Bannon in February, uh, I got a team. It's not just Ed Dowd, you know, with a couple spreadsheets and internet guy. I got whistleblowers. I got PhD physicists now. I started a hedge fund with these guys. I got a former insurance analyst, Josh Sterling, used to work seven years on the street. So we got some firepower behind us. And this isn't just me on the internet, uh, you know, do, do, you know, just saying some things. No, this is huge. So let's get into the statistics a little bit, because from what I'm seeing in these stats that you've talked about, this is redefining actuary tables yeah. and mortality rates massively. And that's going to affect industries across the board. That's, well, we can get into what's going to happen to the economies of the world because that is definitely, but let me, let me just speak to the, to the data. So in Q3 of 2021, there was an event uh, and the event was man, ma mass forced vaccination mandates by employers, especially Fortune 500 and, and larger mid-sized companies. If you're under under 100, you didn't have to do it. But anybody, most people who were employed had to get jabbed if they wanted to keep their job. First responders had already been jabbed. Uh, hospital workers had already been jabbed. But this was a big, big uh, pull forward event that happened between August, September and October of 2021. Well, guess what showed up in the data? Uh, I'll start with the CDC data, then go down to the uh, insurance companies. And the CDC data, uh, they didn't break it down by age because, you know, that would tell a story that they didn't want told. So we broke it down by age. We created our own five-year historical baseline. And you get excess deaths from the baseline. So it was the prior five-year death rate experience for the millennials ages 25 to 44. Well, if, when you chart out the, the deaths, the excess death rate was obviously ran up into, into the end of 2020 with COVID, came back down a little bit into the, you know, after the, the winter flu season, most of the COVID deaths occur in the winter. So it comes back down due to seasonality. It was running around 30% you know, uh, for the, uh, the summer. Then starting in August, it took off. And, and it, the chart looks like this. It's like kind of, it, it went up like this into 2020. Kind of, kind of crawled up, and then it went like this, and that's what we call rate of change, and it went to eighty-four percent excess mortality into the uh, end of the third quarter. That's huge, and that and that, that number between March of twenty twenty-one and February of twenty twenty-two uh, represents sixty-one thousand millennials 
uh, died excessively. Uh, the naysayers say, oh, it's, it's deaths of despair, deaths of uh, suicide, uh, suicides, drug overdoses, and missed cancer screening treatments. Well, just on the CDC data alone, uh, temporally, that makes no sense. You can't say to me that everyone decided to, to have a suicide pact in a three-month period or decided to overdose on drugs in a three-month period or, you know, miraculously all missed cancer screening treatments and got cancer all at the same time. It just it doesn't make any logical deductive reasoning sense. So that alone tells a story that I think is bulletproof. But let's go down to the insurance companies. Um, the insurance company companies started reporting excessive death in January and February. Um, and it was individual company by individual company. We were highlighting it. But then in August of this year, the Society of Actuaries rolled up 80% of the revenues of the group life policies, which is a specific policy in insurance. It's, it's a the death benefit you get when you onboard any large corporation. It's kind of a freebie benefit. You sign your health care, then you sign your, you know, your, your death benefit. It's a joke because, you know, we've all done this. If you've worked at a large corporation, you never expect to get it because, you you know, you're in your 30s and 40s and 50s. You're like, what? Yeah, OK, I'm not going to see this or I hope I don't see it. And uh, to get that policy, you have to be employed at the company at the time of your death. You can't be like, you know. Uh, in a one bedroom, having been fired a month before shooting up fentanyl. Okay, so um, so that group, eighty percent, it represented eighty percent of the industry revenues, and they saw the exact same numbers we saw into Q3. They saw they broke it down into two age groups. One age group was a hundred percent excess mortality. The other one was seventy-eight. The average of the two, it's around eighty-four percent for the millennials, and it was that in that age group, uh, twenty-five through forty-four. So that's. That's the group life policyholders. Now this gets even better, Scott. They, this is a this is a, this is a population that is healthier than the general overall population. Okay, and we know this because there was a study done by the Society of Actuaries in 2016 that looked at this, and they saw that this group, the group that they insure, this is why they make money. They're insuring healthy people that don't die, and that's how they make money. Um, uh, they, they saw that on average in any given year, their policy member holders, um, and again, this doesn't include people that leave the company and retire, this is active employees, uh, experience 30 to 40% the mortality rate of the overall population, which makes sense. They're in the most productive years, they're educated, they're healthy, they have jobs, they're happy. You know, these are good jobs, these aren't like crappy jobs. So that's, that's the backdrop coming into 2020. In, uh, into 2020, uh, the group life versus the uh, general population mortality was about a little was about the same. Uh, in fact, the general population died a little more excessively than the group life. So that that made sense to the insurance people. Guess what happened in 2021? That flipped. In 2021, excess mortality for the whole for the whole year 2021 for group life policyholders was 40 percent. 40 percent. The general population in the same age group. Um, when we looked at we looked at 25 to 64 for this particular group um the general population is 15 to 64 but it's good enough for government work uh they they experienced a 31.7 percent overall mortality so the group life experienced eight percent more more mortality than the general population the only difference that makes any sense to me is that that group had to take vaccines and the other group had a choice because you can't make you can't tell me that all of a sudden uh, the virus decided to attack those with good jobs. 
uh, it makes no sense. You can't blame COVID, long COVID, makes zero sense. It gets even more interesting when we go into another database, completely different from the CDC and the insurance companies, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. You know, that's the group that comes up with the monthly employment report, right? Something called the household survey. They survey like 46,000, you know, uh, random households each, each month. And it's a statistically imputed survey. Well, in some of the questions they ask are about disability. And it's a real-time survey. It doesn't require a disability claim or a doctor's note. It's just asking a question. Um, that comes out every month. And uh, they ask the question, are you disabled or is someone in your household uh, disabled and no longer able to work? Okay. That number was running on an absolute basis, 29 to 30 million for the prior five years, give or take, coming into COVID. It shot up to 33 million starting around, it started taking off in May of 21, it's at 33 million. So to give you an idea of the year over year rate of change in that growth, that's the three standard deviation event. That's what we call signal on Wall Street. Three standard deviation events happen 0.03% of the time, okay? So it shot up and it, and it took off. It just it looks like a growth stock. You know, it's like, it was like, it was like basing for five years and then it went like this. And, and, it, and in, uh, in September, we added 900,000 disabled people, which is the size of San Francisco to a new high of like 33.2 million, something like that. Now, it gets even more interesting when you break it down by um, population, uh, because it, it, so that's disability for the whole country. If you break it down between civilian labor force, there's 161 million people considered in the civilian labor force. Of that, there's 98 million that are considered employed. So we were able to break down the statistics because they provide that data. And the employed population, well, let's, the general population saw an increase in their dis, the overall disability rate of about 7%. So the whole country went up 7%, right? Their disability rate. The employed population went up 22.6%. So riddle me this, Batman. The, the, the generally healthier people that are working experience more disability than the generally less healthy, retired, old, whatever you want to call it. People who had choice is the point. Um, and then when you break it down by women versus men, employed women versus employed men, uh, employed women had 32% increase in their disability rate, employed men 19%. So whatever's going on is affecting women more. That actually foots with another study done by Dr. Naomi Wolf. She's looked at the clinical Pfizer trial data that's been dumped. She's determined from their own data, adverse events occurred more in women than men. So there we go. We got, we got, different, we got different data. I'm just a stock guy making logical conclusions, looking at different databases. So the, the, the bottom line is in 2021 and 2022, uh, being employed at a large to mid-sized corporation was detrimental to your health, apparently. <laughs> I mean, that's just brutal. I don't mean to laugh at it, but that was the great comment at the end. I mean, the, this, these statistics, when I first heard you talk about those on the war room, I mean, my jaw dropped. I mean, it, you, you have the meat to show like this is literally slaughtering a, a segment of our, of our population. And it's, it's the future of our country. It's the most productive people in our country. Not to mention the military that had to take the damn thing. I mean, this, this, I've never seen anything quite like this. And, and, um, you know, you've heard the nonsense about the great resignation and help wanted signs everywhere because 
you know, people are lazy and they decided they wanted to change their lifestyle. COVID made them rethink their lives. And, you know, they're, they're going to they're go hike uh, Mount Kilimanjaro or, you know, whatever the nonsense story is. Let me tell you the real story. There's help wanted ads all over the place because I did back of the envelope calculations. So between the deaths and the disability, which disabilities are 10 to 20 times X, the deaths, the deaths are tragic enough. The disabilities are more. I came up with about 3 million people who disappeared from the, from the uh, workforce. So there's 98 million, 3 million are gone. So the unemployment rate right now is three is 3%. That they, they only calculate that off of the, um, uh, the employed population, right? So if you get disabled, you're no longer counted, right? So, so, but you were not disabled, you know, minutes before you, you know, or like before you took the vac. So it's, a, it's trickery. So the 3% unemployment rate is, is garbage. It's, it's, it's a misnomer. It's, it's, it's a st statistical lie. I say the unemployment rate, if you add back the 3 million I took out, it's effectively uh, six, seven, eight percent, and it's going to go higher once the um, once the layoffs start coming from corporate America, and they're already beginning. But the point being, all these supply chain breakages and shortages, all these weird things you're seeing going on, are because there's just people are are, are, are have been taken out, taken out, wow. and it's silent. And no one's talking about it. So this has to also affect. It has to be a financial trail somewhere, like with the payouts on life insurance. I would assume. Or even um, medical, there has to be some other trail there as well, isn't there? So the health insurance, health insurance different from life, two different businesses, two different sets of companies. We've stayed away from the health insurance companies because they're they're in on this, and if they're not, they, they're covering up. The the, the uh, life insurance companies, I think, are the clueless bag holders on on this. But the problem is, we had a call, a series of calls. Was we sent out a letter in April of twenty. 22, alerting the insurance industry to what we found. Of the 100 CEOs we sent letters to, they no, no one CEO showed up. They sent 25 uh, lackeys showed up, some of them senior. Out of that 25, five are now working with us and agree with us. You have to understand something about the insurance industry. They all got jabbed, they all believed, and they're still in cognitive dissonance. But it's I'm, I'm here to tell you it's changing because what's happening is there, the excess mortality that occurred to them in, in the second, the third and fourth and first quarters of this year, and even the second quarter of this year, um, they chalk it up to COVID or indirect COVID lockdowns. They're buying, they're buying the, they're buying the narrative, right? But guess what? They all are projecting death rates to come back down to normal. That was in their forward projections. That's what they told Wall Street they were expecting. I'm hearing from insiders that um, in the month of August. Uh, excess mortality uh, for millennials was 35%. So it's still high. Wow. So the numbers aren't coming down. So at some point, the insurance companies have to wake up or they're going to lose a ton of money. They're already losing money, but what they're also doing is setting, raising prices. So there's a game being played there. They're just raising prices across the board. Disability is also a big problem for them too. That just keeps going up. That's going to be a longer term issue for them. So the hope is these guys wake up and sue the hell out of the pharma companies and, and the government or something, but they're not, they're not quite there, but it's moving. It's, in April, we were shocked. We, we were naive. We thought they'd be like, this is great guys. Thank you for pointing this out. Instead, they were still in, in the cognitive dissonance and call it one, one, uh, 
one individual from a very large insurance, I'll name it, Prudential Insurance, a very senior person there sent Josh a very nasty email. You're spreading conspiracy theories and, and, and misinformation. You're killing people. Mysteriously enough, uh, the CEO saw the same thing we saw, and this person saw it also. And that person um, was their chief medical officer. But mysteriously, Prudential, within weeks of our calls, uh, abandoned their vaccine mandate policy, interestingly enough. Oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I, we, I can't prove anything, but it was just wild and weird and kind of what I what I'm guessing is the general counsel saw our letter and you know the lawyers the lawyers are going rough, bro. And so now there's going to be a little bit of this. You know, um, think about you're in a corporation. You mandated every employee to get the poison. You find out it's poison. So and then and then you're like, okay, what do we, you? The corporations tend to protect themselves first before they become heroes. So that's what's going on, I think, right now. Very interesting. What what was the compelling motive? Do you think that drove so many in a unified effect of corporations to just mandate the vax? How how did that get in, engineered? That's the, one of the big mysteries, I think. Well, I'll tell you. Um, before Biden's vaccine mandates. Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley came out early in the sun, like middle of summer, and said they were going to institute vaccine mandates. Then the rest of Wall Street followed. Then corporate America followed. Um, so I suspect it was just kind of herd mentality and idiocy. And they and look, if you're a CEO running, let's get let's give some CEO somewhere to the benefit of that. He's running his company. He relies on the news. He's not as like he's not he's not as he's not a stock guy like me, suspicious of everything. He's not looking for fraud everywhere. He's like, oh, this vax has been uh, it's safe and effective. Everyone's you know everyone seems to be getting it. And he's like, no way would they ever you know it didn't even dawn on him that like you know this might be a, a disaster waiting to happen. Now if he just stepped back and said to himself, well, it's experimental and it's never been tested on humans and it's an EUA, I'll wait. But he didn't because the propaganda was so thick. They didn't even like here on Maui in March, February of 2021, they were saying it was approved by the FDA. It was never approved. It was authorized under an E like they didn't say this. There was so much propaganda and lies that I just think so many people who are not, you know, paying attention because they're busy on their little slice of life just bought into it. It's, it's insanity. And then the virtue signaling began and then it just became this thing. I sure did. Is there a, I mean, obviously from a, I'm just going to kind of give you an outside perspective. And, and if you can dispel this, it would be, you know, put it in real terms. I'm, I, it would be great. There's kind of this myth that we create of Wall Street. Like it's a behemoth that steers everything in industry. Yeah, it's and, a monolith. A monolith, yeah. right. And, and yeah. with that, there's like, for example, like the idea would be that Pfizer came out with this. Everybody saw the idea of making money regardless of people. So there's a kind of a monolith of thinking that says we're going to make all this money and forget it. We're just going to destroy it. We don't care who we destroy. That's that's a, in a very broad terms, that's kind of the view that's out here right now. What you're doing here is kind of showing that this is a lot less strategic and a lot more idiocy going on. Well, so the best thing we could say, if, if there were people responsible for this in a plot, the best thing we could say about them is that it was a plot. The worst thing we can say about them is that it wasn't a plot and they were incompetent. <laughs> it's kind of a jump, but, right but you know, so, so 
we don't need to we we don't need to know whether it was a plot or incompetency. What we do know now, though, Scott, is at this point they see the data we see, and we're in cover-up mode, and that's a crime. So crimes and negligence are occurring right now because we've this is this has gone on too long. The CDC sees what I see. I'm a dude on Maui. Um, other countries are starting to see this. Denmark just suspended their vaccine for under 50 because they see what we see. Denmark's a disaster, but you know. No, no one's going to come out and say, oh, yeah, we were wrong. It's poisonous. It's all going to be kind of like this. Oh, yeah, we're stopping it. And uh, it's OK. Just don't don't look over here. It's a, you know, it's going to be that. There's not going to be a hero moment. The U.S. is actually because we're the genesis of this crime. We're the ones doubling and tripling down. We just put it on the children's vaccine schedule. The U.K. suspended it for children. So we seem to be at the forefront of the fraud. Uh, that is the cover up right now. Now, do I think there's reasons that this went down? Yeah, but my opinion doesn't matter because that's speculation. What I do know is it's happened, it's true, and there's a cover-up. That's, that's, and if you want to convince a marginal mind, that's what you do. You don't want to get into you know, Klaus Schwab, the Bond villain, and, and, and Bill <laughs> Gates. And I mean, that may all be true, but it, that's not going to convince anybody. All you have to convince them is people are dropping dead all over the place. Disability is going up. And we're in cover-up mode. Boom. And, and what do you see as a resolve in this, in, in, as far as what you're saying there, as the cover-up? That, that is a criminally pers- uh, prosecutable offense, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. A cover-up. Remember, Watergate, the cover-up was always bigger than the, than the frickin' crime. I mean, a couple dunderheads broke into some DNC office. I mean, if they just, like, turned those guys in and said they, they operated without our, uh, you know, with, you know, without our know, you know, us knowing, it would have all been blown over. But it was like this, like multi-layered cover-up, and went all the way to the, the head guy himself, right? Whether, well, that story, we all there's questions about that story, but let's assume that's the story. Nixon and his cronies covered it up, right? That was the crime. The crime was there, and right now they're covering it up. They're, you know, they're they're not coming clean. They're not stopping these va- vaccines. They're killing people. It's clear as day at this point. It's criminal negligence right now. Before we started the show, we talked a little bit about how Vanguard, for example, is and, and State Street are, are using voting rights. So that's kind of becoming consolidated within the, within the elites of the boards. Is that an influence here? When I say that, that that they become so powerful and so out of touch that there's not an accountability to the stockholders in, in, in decisions and influence on some of these matters. So the 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 knock against uh, Vanguard State Street and my old firm are that they're that they own these companies and tell them what to do. So let's let's just break it down. They manage other people's money, so they're agents. When you see like the top holders are Vanguard, BlackRock, and State Street. That's client money, not the money of BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard. So they, as fiduciaries, get to vote shares. In the old days, when uh, money management was active, not passive. Passive is just ETFs, and there's no man- active management. It's an index. You're just buying an index. Back in the day when uh, it was a lot of active management, every portfolio manager, I used to do this myself, would vote at the annual meeting, okay, for the companies in our portfolio. And we would, you know, our shares would be, our vote would be allocated according to our shares, right? Um, what's gone on now is this consolidation into, into passives 
has made these behemoths, they vote, their shares get voted now by executive committee. So the top dogs at these firms now are voting, whereas portfolio managers used to vote. Do I know that there's nefarious things going on? No. But could there be potentials for abuse? Absolutely. Too much power in too few hands, correct? Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger have talked about this issue in the Wall Street Journal. That's, they think it's too much power in too few hands. So there's no, there's no, I don't think there's this like, they're running these companies. They just have undue influence. Now, whether or not that translates into like policy actions or corporate decisions, I have no idea. But I just know that it's, it's, it's probably not a good thing to have that much power. That makes perfect sense. And I know we're staying pretty solid here in statistics, but there is there is a picture that's unfolding as you're laying this out. And it goes back to what I asked early on, which is when you start to look at changes in actuary tables and changes in mortality rates, the ripple effect on that on industry is phenomenal. That goes everywhere right. from cost of health insurance to how accessible life insurance is, disability benefits, even projections on higher hiring strategies. Correct. So. It- Let's, let's, let's talk inflation, wage inflation. Well, well, well part, part of the inflation equa- equation is definitely they printed too much money, but the other thing that's going on are supply chain issues. And the, some of those were uh, induced by lockdowns and breakage of supply chains. The other part of it is labor. So there's just not enough people to do what needs to be done to make things run smoothly. And, that, and so that, that, that slows down the whole supply, supply chain then you don't have enough people, so then that increases wages. So you have goods going up and wages going up. So that it has a huge inflation impact. Longer term, it's going to have a growth impact. Fewer people to sell stuff to, if I'm right about disability and, and the death, and I think I will be. Um, we don't. The one thing we don't know is um, the long-term effects of the jab, right? Like, if you, if you didn't have any adverse events... Uh, are you fine or is it going to come later? What I can tell you anecdotally is I know someone who got jabbed in December, young woman, 30, just one, just one. She only took the, the, the first dose, the first two shots, which is considered the first dose. And then she didn't get any boosters. And, you know, it's uh, October. Now she's got heart issues. Her beats per minute are 30, which is, uh, you know, Olympic athletes, the nor- a healthy person is between 60 and 100. Over 100, you're, you know, you get some issues. Under 60 is not a problem if you're an Olympic athlete. 40 is fine. Under 40 is like, what, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Like, your heart's going to stop at any moment. So I don't know the long-term effects. What I do know is that the vaccination program continues. There's still these idiots that, you know, brag about getting their fourth, fifth, and sixth booster. Um, so until we stop the vaccination program, in its tracks in this country, and it's starting to be suspended in other countries, we won't know what the long-term effects are, right? So until it's stopped here, the, the, the impact on the economy is devastating. It's gonna continue to impact wages and inflation. It's gonna continue to impact supply chains. Stuff that you and I take for granted is just not gonna happen. And I'll give, you a, I'll give you an example. My car at an Audi A6, I was at a stop sign, I got hit. In the old days, I'd be in a body shop in two weeks uh, and then I'd, you know, maybe wait another two and then get my car back. It was the, you know, right headlight panel and radiator was damaged and the fluid leaked out. Well, it took 10 days to get the police report because Maui police department's understaffed. 
Then I talked to my insurance company. They said, go to a body shop. Body shops couldn't, wouldn't even take me or tow it to their place because they're backed up. So I had to do an online photo estimate, and that took forever to get back. When I got that back, uh, just last week, the insurance company said, you know what? My, my car's worth uh, 10 and the, the repairs were eight because of all the short you know, part shortages and everything. They decided to junk the car. I find, I'm, coming, I'm, I'm finding out that this is going on all across the country. If you're close to like the estimate, there's such a backlog in the system, they're just junking the cars and cutting checks because it's, it's cheaper than to cut a check, take your car and sell it for parts. This is what's going on. I mean, it's insane. And it's interesting because we were just having this conversation earlier about um, used car markets and just the astronomical increase in costs because of the supply of new vehicles coming in, which is obviously shortened with thousands sitting on the lots without chips, right? I mean, yeah. and this is just the ripple effect of everything you're talking about, right? Correct. And, and then also think about if I'm right on disability and this is as, as horrendous as I think it is, you know, you're just going to, stores are going to close early because they don't have people to keep them open. Uh, you know, uh, Mail is going to take a lot longer. Like just, this, this everything's going to get harder and harder to do, to do. It's going to be if you're rich and you want a nanny, good luck. You know these types of things are going to start happening, and it's just you're going to and, and and all the goods that we've taken for granted, like inexpensive T-shirts from China. I mean, this is when I bought this. It was like you know twelve dollars. You know, there, I could see a day where it's like a hundred. You know, we don't know what's coming. It's bizarre. We don't at all. So. It, we're looking at a, a, a really a forced, if you will, restructuring of the entire economic system that we currently know, but with an unknown end. Is that a fair assessment? Correct. And, you know, you could, you, we can speculate as, as, well, I know for a fact the energy prices got high because of policy. That was policy-induced rise in oil and natural gas from Biden, the Biden administration. On day one, he signed the executive order to uh, discontinue the, the Keystone Pipeline. On day one, that was his first. I mean, so they've made it so unfriendly to make energy and get it out of the ground in this country that that's a that's that's a self uh, that's an unforced error, self self owned uh, wound, so to speak. They're doing the same thing in Europe. They're shutting down coal plants, putting up windmills and uh, solar, which doesn't even can even compete with coal in terms of baseloading. Remember, I used to be electric utility analyst, so I know all this math. And they don't do nuclear, which is fine. Nuclear is safe. And actually good, but they don't want to do nuclear because that would solve the problem. What they're trying to do is engineer an energy crisis to usher in this climate change nonsense, which is nothing more than a scheme, in my opinion. This is this is my opinion. Climate change is just a scheme to um, control and tax. I mean, so, it's so it's, who's it's, driving that? I think from a wall. Again, I'm going to kind of go back to this monolithic view of Wall Street, as if there's a you know like a group of people that are working together to engineer these changes so that they can rake the wealth for their own. I mean, I, I think that's a, perhaps that's happening at the most senior levels, but I don't think that's a realistic snapshot of what's happening in the meat and engine of the people working in wall street. Is it? No, most people on wall street got the jobs. You gotta remember most firms on wall street compete against each other. So on when, when you sell a stock, there's someone on the other side of the trade. So there's, there's competition and then, and no, and there's, they're not monolithic and they're winners and losers. I would even go so far as to say, uh, the, the big banker CEOs may or may not be involved in, in this, but I do know the central banks have something to do with this. The central banks 
I think you can you can point a finger at and say there's something weird going on there because that's that's been a black box even to Wall Street. Most people on Wall Street don't even know how central banks what they do or how. I mean, we've never audited the Fed. You know, we don't know what the swap lines are between us and China, and, and you know, there's all this like weird stuff that goes on that we don't know about, and and manipulation of of of, of bond markets. It's it's pretty opaque. So I would point the finger at the the the, the central banks and the politicians. Let's that, that's where I believe all of this originates from central bankers and politicians. That takes us back to your Orange County story, because you're dealing with I think this is a good snapshot, if you don't mind opening that up a little bit, because you were talking about who was in charge of their their hedge, their funding or investments and how they were getting their pension funds. Yeah. Yeah. Can you? Uh, well, look. Yeah. So look, that, that was that was just that was a guy who. Uh, wasn't that bright? Who it was a plum job, and he uh, thought he was smarter than he was. And I don't know what his incentive system was. Maybe they had perverse incentive systems, and he got paid a bonus if like he had excess returns. But he juiced his returns. So by juicing his returns, juicing means he took more risk for for you know higher returns, higher risk. But when you're running a a, a, a county pension fund, you're supposed to you know run it prudently. He was getting something for nothing. His returns were better than everyone else's for several years until they weren't. They weren't, and, and they weren't because when the bets went bad, they went really bad. He lost a couple billion dollars. So that's just a small snapshot of the corruption that can occur. Now, it, that was contained, but like, let's go forward. We had the dot com corruption, which was corporate fraud. Then we then we rolled forward again, and the fraud moved on to banks. That's bank fraud. But then the central banks bought the bank fraud. They bailed out the banks. So it's kind of like this Python of fraud that just kind of over a hundred years has just moved through the system. Now it's it's rotted and sitting on the central bank's balance sheets. So right now, the last 12 years, they've been propping up this ever since the great financial crisis, in my opinion, Wall Street didn't take over the government. The government took over Wall Street. And they basically, if you remember, they paid billions and billions in fines during the Obama administration and not one banker went to jail. I think a deal was cut and a lot of those funds went into consumer protection, that they were earmarked for consumer protection, which ended up in you know leftist run NGOs. That's where the money sits, leftist run NGOs. That's why they have so much money. Wow. That scam happened during Obama's time. All the, the bankers got, uh, got bailed out and they were behold, and literally they weren't, pro I think Eric Holder and Obama said, we won't prosecute you if you, uh, pay these big fines and uh, just don't ask questions. No one went to jail. So there's been, this fraud's just been rolling, rolling, rolling. And it got so big now that we're having a uh, global sovereign debt crisis and the, the, the chickens have come home to roost. You mentioned something early on about the dot-com crisis. And I wanted to go back to that because it's something I've talked a lot about, which is value. And in the valuation of a business, there used to be at least tangible assets weighted into that. I, I did some work just uh, loosely on it was some stuff in, in Wall Street. And I was stunned when I started to hear some of the dot com folks talk about value. And it was notional and emotional. It was literally like what we perceive the market will accept. And there was no tangible backing to that. It was almost like talking uh, like derivatives. Is, is that a fair assessment? Yeah. So the venture community, venture capital community, and a lot of the companies that get funded are just ideas. They get, they get money. And then on paper, they have, you know, they do, a, 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 I think, an A round, which is the initial investment. I, I, I'm not a VC, but 
they get their initial investment and then they're valued based on that. It's, it's, it's just math nonsense. And then if someone comes in and gives them more money, because these, these venture capital businesses lose money until they make a product and then sell the product. So initially, it's just an idea that gets funded. To get, they get absurd valuations. And when the Federal Reserve has um, you know, got easy monetary policies, all these valuations hold up and business is good. And the moment they start raising interest rates, uh, the, you know, the sucking sound of capital out of these things is horrendous and quick. And so right now, the VC community, all their valuations are getting smashed. It's just, it's basically, it's basically just a game. Like when interest rates are low, they're valued high. When interest rates go up, they get decimated and the funding dries up. It's just, it's like, they're not, and, and the trick, if you're, a, look, I, if, I was a, if I was starting a company, timing is key. If you if you start a company in the middle of a, re, a, a recession, right when the Fed's about to create easy money and you get funded, you're sitting pretty because you're at the bottom of the cycle and you can build your business as things get better. And then, you know, if you can turn it into a real company, that's when you make your wealth, you know, you do an IPO. Um, but if you start a, a company at the top of a business cycle, it, you know, the money is basically burned and, you, and then you're not going to get a second round. So a lot of it's just, it's ephemeral nonsense. It's like, like it's not real until it is real and sometimes there's big winners that's why people bet in this space like if you were a venture capitalist that had amazon and and, and you know funded bezos you're you know you're sitting pretty uh same with google if you're the guy that funded google but most of these companies go to zero most of these startups are zeros zeros wow so you're sitting yeah, on but- you're sitting on what arguably could be considered the new gold in data Honestly, because you're you're looking at current events that nobody's really had their eyes on that is going to completely transform an industry direction globally. Where are you going now with your team? Because you've got a pretty high level team you've put together. Yeah, so we're uh, about to launch a website in a week. It's almost done. It's called the Humanity Project, and. Uh, let me just read you what it is. Recognizing as we all do that financial and political capture has derailed the original intent of our public health institutions, the Humanity Project uses independent research and rigorous data analysis to examine decision-making by regulatory institutions. So we're going to make this data available to everybody, okay? You're going to be able to see all the crimes. The crimes, and we put it in, that, we, we have it in nice charts. You can click on a country, do age group. You can, the story tells itself. It's going to be available in a week. Our hope is other people come in and contribute to it. We're also starting a hedge fund that will, you know, that data is available for everybody. But we're we have um, we're going to develop models that can predict where this is all going to go, and because of that edge, we'll be able to make our investors money. So while we're trying to be alert the world, we also know that the world doesn't want to hear this. So you know, we're going to try to make money for our clients based on the reality of the situation, not what we you know hope it is. Right. And with this information, we'll be at the cutting edge of it. And uh, that's what we call on Wall Street smart money. And, uh, you know, if we're right, 10 years from now, everybody will want to get into our fund. But it's the early investors that are, that are going to make all the money. You know, the ones that come in 10 years from now, when it's like reported on 60 Minutes, there was a crime 10 years ago. You know, so is there um, is in your hedge fund, is that a public offering or is it only select clients that you're bringing in? Well, we're we're we're, we're, we're so focused on getting this information out we we had people wanting to um we need a we're, we're looking to raise a seed partner and it's interesting like we told the seed we had a couple of seed partners talk to us we said look we can't talk to you until we're done with this project like most people who who start hedge funds 
need the money, right? We're, we actually told the people with the money, you got to wait. We're busy trying to you know, save people's lives and put this information out there. So like, we're going to fund it later once we get this pro. This project's pro bono. It's just like, this is, it's so important, right? You know, this is, it's not, hedge funds are hedge funds. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? But, um, you know, what I do say to people who would like uh, call me crazy in my, my, my uh, circles here on Maui, you know, I, was, I think I was talking to you earlier about this before we got on. I was at a dinner and someone, you know, said, what are you doing? I'm writing a book, Cause Unknown. I go into the stats. They say, you're not a doctor. I go, no, I'm a Wall Street guy. And they go, where'd you get this data? I go, it's publicly available data. I go, and we're, uh, I go, I go, and it's astonishing. And then they said, well, I don't believe it. I said, well, I don't care if you believe me. We're starting a hedge fund and we got investors interested in this and they're going to give us money because they think we're right. But you can do you. If I'm wrong, I'll lose my investors' money. But this is what we call smart money on Wall Street, where normally smart money uh, makes the money and the dumb money loses the money. You don't want to be dumb money in this vaccine issue now, do you? She looked at me like I, she shut up. And that convinced her a little bit. I, I put the seed of doubt in her head. Like, you can do you. I'm trying to tell you this information. You don't want to receive it, but I'm going to go, go do something with this information. I'm really, I'm really moved by what you're doing in a, in a really strategic way because you're literally forcing it in their face by virtue of using profit as a motive in this to have to face the fact that you were all wrong. I'm right. That Vax is killing people. Right. And we're going to be able to get investors now to be able to use this data as the industry's reshaping. Is that fair? Correct. Correct. And, you know, I, I was joking with one of my uh, partners two months ago. I said, you know, because when you, when you start, when you, when you, um, people invest in a hedge fund, they do a lot of due diligence on it. You know, a lot of this money, people just don't give you money. They, have, they do, you know, big money does due diligence and they ask a series of questions about the founders. And uh, I think, I think, you know, a couple of years from now, one of the questions will be, are you vaxxed? Because if I'm right, and this, you know, this is, this could be, you know, do you want someone running your money who could potentially be disabled or have suddenly die like in the prime of their life? No, that's where I think this goes eventually. And most yeah. of Wall Street's vaxxed. Wow. Yeah. That is, that's a complete reshaping of industries at its, at the core, because that's finances. Yeah. And by the way, I'm, I'm that, that's way out there on the curve. I understand. And if I'm wrong about long-term effects, that won't come to pass, but you know, we'll see. No, I, that's a, that's a prediction. Well, that's a prediction. I talked to a lot of the people that you would know, you know, in regularly and, and what you're modeling is what others have modeled for almost three years now. I mean, from a medical side, the effects side, and, and from my own research. So, I mean, you're, you're right in line. And, and again, I'm like you, we can't predict the future, but nonetheless, we're looking at a radical change when we've lost three and a half million people out of the workforce, which is interesting because when I heard your interview, yeah. I pulled out research and put together the same conclusion based on what you had shared on war room, which is that 3.5 million is the ones that are out of the workforce by virtue of the VAX. Right. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. It's stunning. I mean, that alone is a reshaping event. We see it every single day. It's, I mean, people say, oh, three and a half million people in a population of 330. First of all, three and a half million of anything is a big number. But what they don't realize is people don't realize only 98 million to 100 million people are considered employed in this country. I mean, 100 million people do all the work for 320 million. That's it. You know, 
and you take three of those away, what do you think is going to happen? Right. That's not, you know, and then let's not, let's also not forget, let's say, Scott, let's say you, you and uh, uh, someone in your family, your, I don't know if you're married, but say you had a wife, she got vaxxed and then she, she's working, a dual working couple, she gets disabled. You have to take time off to help her out sometimes. So, so there's, there's, uh, uh, you know, labor hours lost in addition to just people. It's, it's, it's devastating. Well, I'll give you another snapshot too. And, and it happened just locally. I, I have a great physical therapist. I, I was going to for some, an old injury on my hip. They hired an extremely talented young physical therapist in their office and they're, they're right at labor needs hundred percent, no more, no less. Right. She quits all of a sudden and takes a job at Burger King because she can work an afternoon shift and make 85,000 a year as a shift manager rather than the 65 she was making <laughs> as a trained therapist. I mean, wow, that there's a tangible right there. Yeah. Right. And, and, and you know, right. you and I both know that the fast food industry can't sustain that model. There is no way that's a sustainable model. No, it's not. Right. They're going to go the way of the dodo bird. Here's the other thing we need to worry about, Scott. The um, uh, healthcare industry uh, is going to be devastated because they all got mandated. And um, as the disabilities rise, that, that's as tragic as they are, remove someone from the healthcare system. So that's, that's a net positive, right? But the disabilities are 10 to 20 X. And as the people themselves get disabled and have to, and they have to take care of unknown causes of disabilities and people going in, the healthcare system is going to get overwhelmed and break down. So my advice to you, it's going to become crazy. My advice to you is to stay as healthy as you can avoid, avoid just the lifestyle that leads to ill health. Cause right now, you're just going to have a problem getting good health care over time unless you're super rich. Oh. that's It's going to gradually decline. So, again, what's this new website you're going to put up? Um, the uh, firm's website is Finance Technology. That's P-H-I-N-A-N-C-E. Uh, it's, it's, tr- it's, a, it's, a, it's a play on uh, Phi, which is uh, uh, the Fibonacci numbers. But it's Finance, P-H-I, FinanceTechnologies.com. I also have my own personal website called theylidepeopledie.com. Let's get all the insurance stuff that I've done prior to hooking up with these guys. So I also have the book coming out, Cause Unknown, The Epidemic of Sudden Death in 21 and 22. It uh, should come out in December. You can pre-order on Amazon. And that it lays it out. We wrote the book to convince the marginal mind. And we, we left out the who and why. We just say, I do blame the vaccines in the book. I say, I say it's my thesis as a Wall Street guy, but then I lay it out. It's pretty unassailable. I say, if you have, if you have a better uh, explanation than I do, please step forward and share it with us. And then uh, uh, there's just um, uh, all sorts of uh, anecdotal stories about all the uh, sudden athletic deaths uh, in the country and around the globe. And it lays out the case. And it's it's very well documented. It's, it's an easy read. It's like 216 pages. It's designed to be kind of like a small copy table book, so you leave it out for family members that aren't convinced. So yeah. it's it's kind it's kind of it's kind of a it's it's to show the marginal mind that, that that if they weren't aware of what's going on, they should be because we also put a lot of news stories that no one really ever saw. Because one of the tricks the news media likes to do is report it but then bury it. Yes, I mean if you talk to the average person, uh, 
normie covidian they have no idea that the fda tried to hide the data for 75 years they have no idea none but we try to you know expose them to like all these headlines we have qr codes so it's from we're using their own media against them because even though they suppressed it it's right there it tells a story in and of itself well i'd love to get you back on once you get the book out can we yeah sure you you know you know how to reach me yep i do that would be great well and the we always do a prayer at the end of the show. Is it okay if we do a prayer? Oh, I'm, I, I believe in God, so go for it. All right, sounds good. This is awesome. And Father, I just want to thank you very much for this blessed meeting and just ask that you continue to, to bless all that Ed is doing to pursue truth, bring truth to the world, and use truth literally as a weapon to wake people up and drive them to a greater awakening of what has happened. This is truly a blessed time when we're seeing so many talents and diverse talents in our world coming together for the pursuit of truth and the awakening of everybody on the globe. So we just ask you to guide him, protect him, and we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's awesome having you on. Thank you. This is not a movie story ending. We already have this, the evidence of the crimes. When this website comes out, it's going to be devastating. The key now is to get this message out. Because I, I tell people, I go, 90% of the country doesn't know what happened in the third quarter of 2021. If you Once they see that, they're like, holy shit. You know, we don't need to keep recreating the wheel, finding new little things, you know. I fully agree with you on that. This is solid research and historical perspective. Yeah, that's all we're doing. So your book is Cause Unknown, correct? And it's it's coming out in December. Yeah, hopefully the hard copy. Don't get the ebook. It's going to, ebook will come out in, a, in maybe in a week or two, but. The book, the book, the book is assembled for like every page you turn, it awakens a marginal mind, and uh, it's 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 designed so that you can give it to the skeptic and they can start, and then it just unfolds, and then you ask them, "Well, what did you think?" Awesome. Yeah. Well, Ed, I really appreciate you being on today. It, it was awesome, man. You got it. Thank you. You got much. it. And uh, oh, send me the links. I can post it on Getter. Absolutely, we'll do. I'll get it up tomorrow night, and I'll send it to you. Awesome. I'll post it. Awesome. All right. Bless you, man. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye now. Well. All right, Patriots. So that's Ed Dowd and just awesome mind in all of this. If you didn't catch it, and I want to just highlight it, because this is from where I come from, my background, one of the things he's doing is just like cutting edge asymmetric warfare. Because literally what he's doing is he's created the new data, which will be the foundation for the future actuary tables, which literally shapes the entire new direction of business. It affects everything. It affects hiring strategies. It affects projections of earnings. It affects projections of growth. It affects health industry. It affects life insurance industry. It affects the banking industry and loans. Everything is this new data because it's all based on the what the impact of the injections are doing and the life cycle of that, and the death rates, and et cetera. So instead of just like sitting over here and trying to throw stones at people to get them to wake up, he's literally creating a hedge fund around that, and with all the projection data that they'll be able to create, and they're going to turn that into an investment engine, so even those that are deniers are ultimately going to have to confront the fact that he's right, the data's accurate is what I should say it that way, And by bringing them in by their motive of profit, they have to be immersed in the function of truth. It is an awesome strategy. So I'm totally on board with what he's doing. 
and that's the 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 thing there is where where they're headed is going to be amazing. And from what I understand, the fund is all going to be based on providing the information. Initially, I don't know a lot about it. He wasn't real specific, but the fund is providing the information for businesses to be able to invest and provide that data for businesses to create proper strategic positioning for future. That's as much as I know about it right now, but it's really amazing. And this is literally when you get people that come from this, come to this problem from outside of industry in, in a unique way, they provide unique solutions towards the end goal of waking people up. Like you said, he's taking the initial data. They're just putting it out on the website this next week. And I'll make sure that we get that link up when it's up. And just for people to see it and start reading through it. So it, the, the initial thing is get the data out there for everybody to have and have it free. And then the products that they create out of that in the future will be part of their hedge fund. Really sound, solid approach to getting the truth into everybody ultimately. So Patriots, that's it for tonight. Thank you for being here. We'll be back. I'll be back here in a couple hours here with Fishers of Ben. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He will never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs, and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who moved forward and so will space.
We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. Push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. <laughs> 